Good evening. My name is Rob, and if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, I'm a pastor at our Fairfax site, Capital Prez Fairfax. Thank you very much. Um, and tonight I have the privilege to introduce my friend Randy Newman, who will be speaking to us this week. And I've known Randy probably about seven or eight years ago. We met while I was working at a church in Maryland, and since then we've had the opportunity to work together uh, a number of times. And I Suppose uh, when you're introducing someone, what you do is give uh, the audience reasons why you should listen to this person that's about to come speak. I could give you a lot of reasons. I could uh, talk about him and his wife, Pam, and their decades of ministry experience, Randy and Pam, Campus Crusade for Christ, George Mason University, and so uh, working with faculty and staff there. In fact, when Liz and I moved into our neighborhood uh, in Fairfax, Turns out our neighbor is a philosophy professor uh, who Randy had spent time sharing the gospel with, and my neighbor speaks highly of Randy and his ministry. I could speak of his ministry, I could speak of his education, studied uh, music in undergrad, has a PhD in intercultural studies. I could speak of his writing, a few books. Questioning Evangelism is a book that changes the way I view uh, how it is that I share my faith. So hear this, uh, sometime this weekend, or when you go home, you should consider buying uh, one of Randy's books. I'll give you three. Questioning Evangelism, uh, Bringing the Gospel Home, because I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but sometimes the hardest people in the world to share the gospel with are those in your family. And Randy's written a great book on that. And then his most recent book that just came out, Unlikely Converts, is another great book. So would commend his writing to you. You can find it on the Gospel Coalition uh, as well. So... Uh, his ministry, his education, um, his writing, also just him and Pam being just faithful church members. They love the bride of Christ. They come up and they show up for nursery duty in Fairfax and love the little ones. Uh, and so uh, we're really thankful for that. Pam and Randy have been uh, a blessing to Liz and I, just good friends. And if Jesus can make uh, a Jew from Long Island and a redneck from North Carolina friends, he can make anybody friends. All right. So, Randy, if you'll come up and I'm going to pray for you. Can we get a round of applause for Randy? <laughs> That's great. Thanks. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for my brother and my friend. I thank you for him and his wife. Uh, and their faithfulness to you, Father, I thank you that you redeemed him, you saved him, you drew him to yourself, you let him taste your grace and your goodness, and you've used him to share that again and again. And so, uh, would you speak through him, give him your peace and your power through your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks. I didn't know you were a redneck from North Carolina. We, we need to talk. Um, no, I'm, I'm really delighted to be with you and delighted to be here. I was thinking um, just a few minutes before getting up that I, I, I do a bunch of speaking at a bunch of different places, and I've done some church retreats, but I was a, a little more geared up, a little more nervous this time, and I, and I finally figured it out just a minute ago. It's because this is my church. I'll, I'll probably see you again. <laughs> so... Um, 
Uh, so, no, I'm really delighted. I've been looking forward to this for quite a while. I was really thrilled. Um, I got together with Bill, full of love, several months ago to talk about what, uh, what topic, what would be a good idea, what would feed our people. Um, I do a lot of speaking and teaching about evangelism, and I said to Bill, do, do I have to speak about evangelism? And he said, no. And I, I started dancing, which was embarrassing. Um, and, but I, I was just delighted because I'm an evangelistic chicken. And so every chance I get to talk about something else, you know, so I said, could I, could I just like pick a book of the Bible? He said, sure, that'd be great. And um, as Rob mentioned, and as I'll tell a little bit more, I, I come from a Jewish background. And so I said, could, could I teach from the Old Testament? He said, oh, that'd be great. I said, could I teach from Zephaniah? He said, well, uh, we're just brainstorming now, right? Is that right? And I said, no, I've been reading the book a lot lately. I, I really like it. He goes, well... Um, I said, it's only three chapters. He says, well, we have four messages. And I said, I'll just tell my testimony on Friday night, and then, and then people will, will, will scatter. He said, actually, let's not tell them that. So, so I didn't. I just didn't tell you that. Um, that's why it wasn't publicized. Um, when they said that they had a lot of people sign up, I said, oh, they really didn't tell anybody. But um, I really do want to talk about Zephaniah. But here's my motivation for doing it. How many of you have ever heard a message from the book of Zephaniah? Yeah, that's what I was thinking, right? Hardly anybody. So I'm thinking there's a high likelihood at the end of this retreat, some of you will say, that was the best message I've ever heard from Zephaniah. And um, um, well, part of my motivation is also to help you avoid embarrassment in heaven. Um, As I understand it, um, if we are believers, we've been washed by the blood of Jesus, we've been saved, we have eternal life. If we're trusting in Jesus, we're, we're going to go to heaven forever, and, and forever is a really long time. And so there's a good likelihood that sometime in the course of eternity, we might bump into Zephaniah. <laughs> you know what he's going to ask, have you read my book? <laughs> and if you say no, you'll spend the rest of eternity trying to avoid Jude. So to save you, uh, we're going to look at Zephaniah. But don't worry, I'm really going to start tomorrow morning on Zephaniah. I thought it would be helpful for you to hear a little bit about who I am and where I'm coming from. Because even though this is you are, we are church, um, I, I haven't really met a whole lot of you. Uh, so I thought I'd take a few minutes to tell you about my journey to coming to faith. And that will give you an idea a little bit about how I present things. Um, I'm originally from New York, as Rob mentioned, and I grew up in a Jewish home, and uh, we didn't hear a whole lot about Jesus when I was growing up. Now, my dad used his name a lot, but, but not, in, not in the ways that you would feel comfortable with, and um, uh, I, I thought, uh, I, I took Judaism actually more seriously than the rest of my family. I, uh, I prepared for my bar mitzvah when I was 13, and I... Um, I wanted to do everything you could possibly do for a bar mitzvah. There's various different levels, and I did everything because I thought maybe finally somehow God wouldn't seem so distant and alien. Because up until that point, it just seemed like, I don't know, I I just wasn't connecting with God. And I thought I should be. We're part of the chosen people. Uh, We're the people of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, uh, I was learning how to pray in Hebrew, which I thought was God's first language. And so I thought for sure I should be able to connect with him, and yet it didn't seem to work. After my bar mitzvah, I continued to meet with my rabbi. Uh, There was a small class of a few of us who wanted to continue and learn and grow. 
And it still didn't make me feel any closer. And then when I was 16 on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, I said, okay, this year I'm going to get Yom Kippur right. There's a lot of commandments with Yom Kippur. And I said, okay, I'm going to do them all. Um, I had never uh, really done all of the things you're supposed to do. So I fasted. You don't eat on Yom Kippur, which is the worst Jewish holiday that you can imagine. No food? Um, uh, well, if you, so maybe you don't know this. All Jewish holidays are summed up with they tried to kill us, we won, let's eat. Um, so, so Yom Kippur is a horrible holiday because there's no food. And, and so it's the Day of Atonement. So that's the way you, you atone for sins. You don't eat. And uh, there's all sorts of things you don't do. We didn't, we didn't drive to synagogue, so I walked. Um, there's a long day of confessing lots of sins, and I confessed all of them. It was a big, long list. And I, I just, I, they were all in Hebrew, so I didn't even know what I was confessing. But I confessed all of them thinking, surely sometime during my life I must have committed these things. And um, at the end of the holiday, as I was walking home, I was thinking, it didn't work. God doesn't seem any closer to me now than he was 24 hours ago. I said all the prayers. I confessed all the sins. What, what, did I, what, what didn't work? Why didn't it work? And as I was walking, I, I was just thinking, I, I, what did I forget to do? And I was dressed up in a suit. You get dressed up on Yom Kippur. And I wore dress shoes. And as I was walking, pretty dejectedly, I looked down at my shoes and I thought, oh, I just remembered back in Hebrew school, I learned that on Yom Kippur, you don't wear leather shoes. You don't wear dress shoes on Yom Kippur. There's a bunch of different rabbinic explanations. That's not in the Bible, by the way. It's in rabbinic tradition. But I thought, oh, that's why it didn't work. I wore the wrong shoes. And then I thought, that's the stupidest thing in the world. You've got to be kidding me. Really? This is how you get to know God? Remember this, remember this, do this, do this, don't do this, wear the right shoes? I thought, there's got to be some other way. And I don't remember praying, but I'm sure it had the effect of a prayer of God, you've got to show me some other way. I now look back at it and see that God began answering that, that prayer by a friend of mine inviting me to his Presbyterian Church youth group. This was on Long Island in New York. It was the first Presbyterian Church of Babylon. I'm, I'm not kidding. We lived in North Babylon, so we went south to, you know, I first heard the gospel in Babylon. I think that's a chapter title of a book. Um, uh, so uh, my friend invited me to his church youth group. I said, well, you know, I'm Jewish. He said, that's okay. It's, it's really not all that religious. It's a lot of fun, and the girls are cute. So I went, and he was right. Praise the Lord. And um, so we did a lot of fun things, um, but he lied to me when he says it wasn't all that religious because they did lots of religious things. In fact, they prayed about everything. These people were always praying, and I was just intrigued with the fact that they could pray in English. Seemed like an unfair advantage. And, um, but, but they talked about God like they really knew him. I mean, they talked about him like they knew him. They used this phrase, having a personal relationship with God. I thought, ooh, that, I like that. Tell me more. And I, whenever I asked them to tell me more, they always said it had something to do with Jesus. And I said, well, you know, I'm Jewish. We don't do that Jesus thing. And they were the first group of people who said to me, well, uh, wait a minute. Uh, you know, Jesus was Jewish. Well, yeah, I knew that. His followers were Jewish. Yeah, I guess. The people who wrote the New Testament were Jewish men. Oh, I didn't know that. And um, they challenged me to consider this seriously. I didn't. I just watched them, though, and I was intrigued with how 
they really connected with God. I remember this one time we, we did a church youth group event going to the beach, and we used a church bus, and we got on the bus, and we were going to the beach. I was very excited. Um, and somebody at the front of the bus got up and said, hey, everybody, let's pray. <laughs> pray? We're in a bus. And... Um, they said, um, and so the guy up front said something like, uh, Lord, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you that we get to go to the beach. We pray that nobody gets badly sunburnt. In Jesus' name, amen. I thought these people are lunatics. Get me out of here. What is, well, you don't bother the Almighty with things like sunburn. And then I thought, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe you do. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great if you knew God so well that you could talk about sunburn? And so again, I asked them more questions. They told me it was all about Jesus. I said, I don't do that. And they gave me a copy of the New Testament. Uh, there was a brand new translation that was being worked on. It was called the New International Version. And at that point, it was only in the New Testament. And they gave me a pocket uh, paperback New Testament NIV. I took it. I did not read it because my rabbi had told me that the New Testament is an anti-Semitic book. It's written by people who hate Jews, and it's been used by Christians to show why they hate Jews. So I didn't read it. I went off to college, and I majored in beer. Um, uh, apologies to parents in case you need to do some explaining later. Uh, Rob will cover all of this uh, in, 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 a, in a separate session for the teenagers. Um, my, 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 my transcript said that I majored in music. But if you looked at time allotment, um, it was really I was majoring in something else. I thought life was absurd, pointless, meaningless. I went to watch a lot of Woody Allen movies. I, watched, I read a lot of Kurt Vonnegut novels, and I got drunk a lot. Uh, until, in the middle of my sophomore year, a friend of mine died in this very, very tragic accident. And um, uh, I remember sitting at his funeral thinking, okay, i got to get some answers. And somehow, for some reason, I brought that paperback NIV New Testament away with me to college, and I took it off and started reading it. And I started with the, the Gospel of Matthew. I remember these friends back in Babylon. I thought that was funny. Uh, so I, they, they told me you should start with Matthew, and they told me that Matthew was the, the one of the Gospels that was the most Jewish. So I read it, and with fear and trepidation, I was thinking this is going to be an anti-Semitic book, but I found, oh no, this, this sounds very Jewish. This reminds me of Isaiah and Micah and Malachi and the prophets that I had studied for my bar mitzvah. This didn't seem anti-Semitic. It seemed very Jewish. It seemed to just pick up where the Old Testament, we called it the Bible, had left off. And I was intrigued and convinced that Jesus wasn't just a prophet. That's what I had been told. Jesus was just a good teacher. He was a good rabbi, but he's not God. I read the Gospel of Matthew and said, wait a minute. He's making claims about himself. He's saying things about himself, having always existed. There are things that are written about him. And uh, I also remembered that this friend back at the home church told me I should read C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. So um, this was a long time ago when if you wanted a book, you had to, this is really weird. You can Google it later. You had to go to a book store. <laughs> it's weird. Ask your grandparents. And... Um, and uh, so I was not going to go to a bookstore and ask for, do you have mere Christianity? Because I had no way. Even if I could read it with a, 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 book more, a book wrapper around it. No, no. So I went to the library, hid it in my backpack, and I read it. And uh, Lewis convinced me in those first couple of chapters that Jesus 
could not have just been a good teacher, could not have just been a mere man. The kind of things that Jesus claimed for himself, Lewis said, would be like someone who is on a, a lunatic on the level of someone who calls himself a poached egg. Either he's crazy or he's God. And Lewis convinced me intellectually that Jesus was the fulfillment of those prophecies, the fulfillment of messianic prophecies, that he was God in the flesh, the Savior, who died to, to, sacri- to be the fulfillment of Yom Kippur. Um, but that still hadn't made me a believer yet. I still was holding out hope that I was going to find meaning and purpose somewhere else. My most religious activities of my freshman year were going to the Philadelphia Academy of Music and listening to the Philadelphia Orchestra because I thought music was going to be the transcendent experience. I thought music was going to connect me with God or eternal things or something bigger. And I kept hoping that at some point I was going to hear the piece of music that was going to satisfy my soul. And every Saturday night I worshipped and prayed and hoped and was disappointed. Every piece of music disappointed. If for no other reason that every piece of music eventually came to an end. (laughs) The concert was over. You had to leave and go back on the subway up to North Philadelphia to where my dorm was. Apologies to anybody from Philadelphia. I love the city. It's wonderful. But if ever there's a rude awakening, it's going from Dvorak to the Philadelphia subway system. And um, so I was disappointed after every concert, after every piece of music. And it was when I got in C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, to his chapter on hope, that it finally clicked with me. Because Lewis said that we can look at all of these different disappointments in life and we can either say, oh, I've got to find another experience, another spouse, another vacation, another job. Or I can become a cynic and go, oh, yeah, I used to go chasing after that stuff too. Or he said there's the Christian way to handle those disappointments and to see that they're pointers. And Lewis said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. That's why music is disappointing, because it's only a pointer to the eternal. It's only a reminder that we're meant for someplace else. And so every piece of music, when it gets us close, we should remember, oh, it's only pointing. And for me, that changed how I listened to music, and it changed my relationship with God. That began a born-again experience of now where I don't look to those things to be fulfilling. I, I look to those things to be pointers. Um, one of the pieces of music that was most meaningful to me or most promising or the one that was also the most disappointing was Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake. I kept thinking that that was going to be the piece that would do it and it always disappointed. Not too long ago, Pam and I went to a concert where they were doing Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake and I said, you know, this was one of the pieces of music that was always disappointing to me. I'm really looking forward to getting disappointed again tonight. <laughs> that was a prayer request for my wife that this is what she has to put up with. But... So all that to say is that at that point in my sophomore year at Temple University, I started seeing Old and New Testaments fitting together. There wasn't this mammoth divide between the two. They were one book. I I started reading more and more of the Old Testament and, and realizing where it was pointing. And so it became so much more meaningful and so much fuller. And I also started reading the New Testament and seeing how it connected. And so the more we can read them as one book, the more we can love God and His Word. 
So that's why I chose Zephaniah. I hope you haven't decided to leave. We've locked the doors. There's a, there's a barrier at the, so you can't, so you might as well come back for tomorrow. Let me just give you a little taste. I'm only going to look at one short little phrase in the book of Zephaniah. You don't even have to turn to it because it's the very beginning. The word of the Lord came to Zephaniah. All I want to say is our God is a verbal God. Isn't it amazing how many of the books of the Bible um, begin, I mean, the books of the prophets begin with the word of the Lord came to Zephaniah or Malachi or Micah. When God created everything in Genesis 1, do you remember how he created? And God said, and God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. His word is so powerful that all he needed to do was say words and the world came into existence. God's word is very, very important. This whole book of Zephaniah is about the day of the Lord, and so I'm thinking in the category of we're living this day in light of that day. We're living every day in light of the day of the Lord, and the most important thing, or one of the most important things about that is taking seriously God's word. His word is powerful. It's called a two-edged sword. The longest chapter in the longest book of the Bible, Psalm 119 in the Psalms, is about the word of the Lord. We should read and reread and devour this book and love it and, and puzzle over it. It's, it's a long book, have you noticed? And there are parts about it that are kind of confusing. Um, and, and in my prep for Zephaniah, I found lots of those places. I'm just not going to ignore those verses for my speaking. Um, but... Um, Taking seriously God's word is one of the most important things about all of life. Living this day in light of that day means taking seriously God's word. Um, let me close with, with one, uh, two stories. One is, um, one of my heroes, uh, as a fairly new believer, I started reading everything I could find by Francis Schaeffer. Some of you know Francis Schaeffer and his writings. Schaeffer said toward the end of his life, as he was dying of cancer, um, he would be in his hospital bed. He was barely able to, to, to stay awake for very long. And he, he couldn't read, but, it, but he said that he would always look over to his nightstand and see his Bible. And he would just reach over and pat it. He said it was just so good to know it was there. He's the one who wrote the book, a very short but important book. He is there, and he is not silent. We live in a time when people are saying, oh, words, 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 there are too many words, we're just floating in words. Yeah, but God's word is different. God's word cuts through. It, it's powerful, it penetrates, it's amazing. So we have a weekend to be together to dig into a part of God's word, and I'm delighted to be part of that with you. So will you pray with me? And uh, tonight's message is short. Don't, don't get your hopes up. Tomorrow's will be longer. Uh, they, get, they get longer each time. But they told me, Friday night, keep it short. So I did. So let me pray. Father, we thank you that we're not left on our own to try to figure all this stuff out, but that you have revealed your word to us. You have spoken. You have made sure that your word got recorded rightly, accurately, it got translated, it got passed down, and we have it. We can even carry it around on our phone. Would you use this weekend in a way so that we would be more in love with you because we have met you and heard from you through your word. We pray all of this in our Savior's name. Amen.